bam, we're live. And I was like, oh shit, is that me? Because <laughs> that guy needed to turn the energy up a little bit. I, I, do you think that, um, do you think like, is, is like, this isn't on, on this podcast, this isn't like a hundred percent me. This is like me turned up. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of me, but it's a turned up version of me. You know what I mean by that? I do. It's amped up. Hi, Brian. Hey guys. How you doing? Good morning. Good. Awesome. Good living morning, the Brian. Dream. Just three dudes living the dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully uh, you guys had a good holiday. Oh yeah. Every day yes, is good. Day. I, I have uh, how many kids do you have, Brian? I have two. Do you want me to turn my camera vertical? I want you to put it how you think you look most handsome. <laughs> I don't like being on camera to start with, so it doesn't matter to me. I no, there's not enough room for two people not to like the way they look. So that's my <laughs> job. What are you talking about? Uh, I, uh, Matt, what do you think? I, no, I like his oh, camera. Oh, that looks perfect. No, yeah, you look, look perfect. At, look at that room. Is that? Are you in a bar? I'm in my, my home bar, yeah. It's oh, kind of nice. my little man oh, cave. that's badass. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, thank. In, in what state are you in, Brian? I'm in Virginia. Awesome. Thanks for doing this. Did you think it was? Did Did we have the time? Did we have any scheduling issues? Did we have any time issues? Or seven? This is the right time that you thought. No, it's perfect for me because I, I was just kind of getting my day going. So, seven seven a.m. Eastern would have been way too early for me. I don't know how right. you guys are up right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you ask, um, "How's your day going?" I have three little boys. I have two four year olds and a six year old, and I wake up every single morning like. It, it, the only thing I can compare it to as superficial as it sounds is when I was uh, graduated from high school, my mom bought me a truck and I would wake up every morning and go look in the driveway and be like, holy cow, I have a Toyota truck. <laughs> and it's like that. I run over, I get up and I'm like, oh my God, I have three little boys. I can't even believe it. <laughs> so every wow. day is great. And that's why I do yeah. the podcast so early so I can get this out of the way and then spend the day, you know, wrestling boys. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> uh virginia by the way i can't tell you how great it is that you did this thank you so much um oh, no problem i i know dealing with people so those of you who don't know who are listening uh brian and correct me if i'm wrong but from what i can tell what brian does is brian is the surrogate parent to many 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 dreamers and what i mean by that is he's taken on the immense immense responsibility of guiding people through um achieving their dreams. And most of these people, I believe their dreams is to be the best fighters in the world. To that, uh, That's correct. Professional babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was looking up the word linchpin. I, I, I should have kept it up here. But basically, you're the linchpin in these people's lives. The, it, 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 and maybe they have multiple linchpins, but there's this, there are these extremely, extremely talented people in a realm where they need to focus on their talents and then you sort of point their talents to the right way. A linchpin, a person or thing vital to enterprise or organization. So imagine you want to be the world's best astronaut and yet making a space shuttle that doesn't explode isn't your job. And that's that's Brian's job, Brian Butler's job. He is going to... Um, Build, have the space shuttle so you so these fighters can get onto it and then and then they have to get to space uh yeah i guess kind of maybe you know sometimes more valuable to some fighters than others you know it's it's a manager's job is to just make sure that everything 
stays in line for the fighter. We can maximize their career, the, the length of their career, maximize the money in their career so that they can actually make a career out of it. And, uh, you know, um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, some, you, you don't, it's like insurance. You, you, you don't need a manager until you need a manager, you know? And, and, and a lot of times that gets, um, that gets forgotten. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that nobody would ever know about. Uh, but I can tell you it is a it is a full time job and it is twenty four seven. And there's a um and, and this was fascinating as I did as I started digging into some of the stuff that you've been through. There's a moral responsibility and, and there's a level of integrity and moral responsibility that doesn't come with um a lot of other jobs. Well, I think that the moral responsibility is on the individual person because you would hope that that would carry through everywhere you go, but, uh, it doesn't, unfortunately, you know, there is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of dirt bags in this business. Uh, I have, you know, made it a mission to keep ourselves, you know, above that fray. And, uh, yeah, we've been successful at doing it. But when I got into this business, I thought it was martial arts. I thought everybody was going to be respectful, you know, you know, all this stuff, but no, it's, uh, there's a lot of seedy people in it for sure. There's a difference between selling someone a hamburger that you say is all beef and then it ends up being 50% soy because you know <laughs> it's just that one hamburger and, and yet yeah, it, it doesn't show good character and it's lying. But like literally there's people's lives on the line in your business. You're, you, I mean it's no, it's no different than a doctor I feel like what you're doing. I mean I, I don't know about that. I mean doctors are – you know actually saving the person's life i i get the person to the cage or to the to the event and it's on them to you know once the door shuts it's there's nobody in there but the uh the athletes themselves and uh you know uh it's a, that i think that's why the sport is so is so great because you know it, you never know one one punch with these little gloves can change the outcome for everything even if there's a massive favorite everybody remembers uh when george st pierre fought matt sarah you know uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's what makes the sport great. By the way, Brian, this is Matt. Matt's the producer of the show. And somehow sometimes imagine. he sneaks onto the show. I don't know how he does that. I just stay <laughs> silent and hope he doesn't forget I'm on here. So, <laughs> or you hope I do forget. I, yeah. It's cause I hope I do forget that way. I just get to stay on the whole time. Brian, why is there an AU after your, is your, do you pronounce your last name? Butler. Butler. Ow. Ow is my Chinese family name. I'm half Chinese and half Irish. Wow. So on my legal documents and stuff like that, I have the owl on there. Sometimes it gets dropped off, but I always try to remember it. And who is uh, Chinese, your mom or your dad? My dad. My and mom is Irish, like fresh off the boat Irish from Tipperary. So, Oh, wow. And, and where did they meet? What state did they, they met in New York or? No, no, no. They met in London. I was born in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. And, uh, and when did you come to the States? Uh, so my parents got divorced when I was like six and then my mom moved us to Canada and we lived in Canada for a few years and I, uh, came to Virginia in, when I was in the sixth grade and then she, she married, uh, my stepfather, Al, who's a phenomenal person. Um, and, uh, we were military brats. So then I went to school in Spain for two years, lived in Somalia for two years, Singapore, kind of all over the place. Um, go yeah, it's nuts, huh? Now I'm starting to understand something else that I saw. The pieces are starting to come together. Uh, what was the word you used? You said your, you said 
your mom was fresh off the boat in, in Tipperary. What what was that word you used? Tipperary. What's that? That's the 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 place in Ireland. She's from the city in Ireland. Oh, okay. So when I said New York, you're like, aren't you listening? Got it. Okay. I knew somewhere I missed it. <laughs> I knew. And um, so um, and is your dad gone? Is your dad gone out of your life at that point when your mom moves to Canada? No, no, no. My dad was. A, I, I went back to Hong Kong every summer and stayed all summer with my dad until I was 18. Uh, and he was a big part of my life. Uh, he passed away right before I started this this business, and he was a lifelong martial artist. So he would have gotten a real kick out of all of this. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, he, I actually flew him here, and he had um, he gotten colon cancer, and I took care of him here in the states until uh, until he passed. And and do you have siblings? I have two brothers. Yeah. Wow. And are you the oldest? I'm the middle child. Middle. Yeah, both my brothers are military, federal agent type things. I'm the black sheep. <laughs> <laughs> there's a um, there's a there's a a Forrest Gump quality to your story when i when i hear you being interviewed on other podcasts you put your head down and you go and it seems like your life has just flowed there is a um you work hard you see opportunities you roll your demeanor obviously is just so uh you have such equanimity you're chill um is and I and we'll go back and fill in some of the some of the things I'm referring to. But do you see yourself as like that sort of like a Labrador? You see a ball, you chase it. You don't worry about too many other things. You just are laser focused and go. Um, I don't know. I'm, people have told me that I'm chill. I don't know. You know, I feel like I feel like I I I can be emotional. I get emotionally attached to clients. I get you know, uh, but. I feel like I have to be chill because this, you know, certain times in this business, it spikes up and it spikes down. And yeah, I mean, you, you have really no choice other than to keep your head down and keep moving forward. Um, otherwise you can get stuck in either one of those positions and, you know, nothing good comes from that. I guess more what I mean is if I would have asked you 25 years ago, if you would be the CEO and founder and a manager of a, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, right. Yeah. No, I, I had an ad agency for 13 years before I started this business. Um, uh, and I, I was running that. I started that when I was in college, uh, back at VCU. And, um, I thought that was what I was going to do. I've always been a creative, you know, uh, artist designer, whatever you want to call it. So I thought that was going to be my, my life. And I enjoyed that. And I was lucky and fortunate to be able to have that as my first business. And it was successful. Um, and, and like, I was passionate about that, but I fell into this just because I was behind a computer all day, you know, uh, at that job and I was getting out of shape. I was getting what I call computer body. And, uh, I, I joined this martial arts gym, mixed martial arts gym, because I saw there was a boxing ring in it. And I was like, okay, so this is real. This is not like katas and karate and stuff like that because i did that as a kid and i just don't think that was very functional practical in real life you wanted you wanted something that you could use at the atm if someone something got squirrely i just well, yeah i wanted something yeah that and i wanted to be able to yeah that's basically it um and yeah i joined that gym and uh from there my coach slowly he found out that i owned this ad agency and he asked me if i would help him promote a local show and, um, I said, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not going to pay any more gym dues. It'll be my trade. And, uh, from there we, we, we ran a little show here in Richmond and I brought in a special guest as part of the marketing plan was to bring in fans. I brought in Jens Pulver, who was the first UFC lightweight champion, but he was just coming off of hosting 
or coaching the ultimate fighter reality show at the time. So he was hot at the moment. And also he's a legend. So I feel like he was, he's always going to have that presence about him. Uh, and he and I hit it off and he asked me if I would be his agent. He was like, man, he's like, a, you know, he's like business needs somebody like you. I, sh- I showed him my office downtown and everything. And he asked me to be his agent. And I had no clue. I was, I was a fan. So I was like, Oh my God, Jens Volver asked me, you know? So I said, okay. And I, and I just did it. Like you said, Labrador, I guess I ran when he threw that ball at me. And he said, um, he was making his return to WEC for Zufa fighting Cub Swanson. And, uh, I did it. And from there I was just hoping I did a good job. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I just used all of my marketing, um, knowledge and branded and packaged him and made him look as slick as possible. Used all of my corporate contacts to sponsor him up. And I guess everybody noticed when he walked in the cage that night, um, he was one of the sharpest looking guys with the most sponsors, most unique sponsors. And from there, another fighter named Jeff Curran, introduced himself to me and the phone started ringing from that point forward. And I had to balance which business I was going to stay in. Uh, Cause I was really passionate about both, but I felt like I was at the door, of, you know, on the ground level of AOL, like the janitor that got stock, you know, when, uh, when, when this started, I felt like, Oh, the doors keep opening for me. I better keep walking through them. So I did that. And it got, it got really squirrely at one point because sucker punch was not making the income that, my ad agency was making and I had a couple of houses and I ended up having to pay mortgages, you know, for like nine months on a credit card, oh. uh, which was pretty scary. But I kept thinking I'm doing something's right. Something's happening. Right. Cause I'm talking to people on the phone that most people couldn't pick up the phone and call. So, you know, one day I remember, and I, I still have the mindset today. I, I remember all the bills were paid one month and then I was like, shit, okay, let's not say anything. And then the next month the bills were paid again and I didn't say anything and again and again. And here I am now 14 and a half years later. And I still think that, but, uh, it's, you know, it was the best move that I, that I ever made. Cause I still use my marketing knowledge and background in this business today. I'm just marketing people instead of companies. Um, so many, so many things. I, I I did hear this story. I listened to a couple other podcasts you were on. Uh, one of the things I found interesting, uh, nuance, but that you say that you traded your gym, mem- you, you traded your work for your gym membership, but you had already paid for the year. So you did, paid yeah. your gym membership for the year and, and you'd only been there two months and then you made the trade. So you were out 10 months yeah. of membership and that's but another I've been trading there. I've been training there for over 10 years now and I haven't paid the gym dude. And Brian, Brian Crenshaw, my coach is one of my good friends now. And he, uh, we, you know, we help each other whenever we can. And yeah, so there's no issues. And, and I like that story because that's that, I think that's, um, that's a trait that I have also that I would go in somewhere and I would want to pay for the year and I would be done with it. And I would do it for two reasons. I would recognize that this guy's a business owner and he needs to make money. I don't like people like asking people like, I would never ask my ju- my jujitsu where my kids go and do jujitsu uh, five days a week for a deal on a membership unless I was desperate and needed it because I need that place to succeed. And so yeah. I just love the fact that you did that because it shows your investment in somewhere that it's your life and you're going to bring your entire life there three, four, five days a week and give your life to that place. Yeah, and so yeah. I, and I so- knew I loved it. Right, you know, it was it was extremely different than anything I'd ever done, and I knew. I knew I was, I was hooked. So I've, I've been training ever since. So. Hey, that, that AU is cool on your name also. Cause I'm, I'm sure you know this, but it's the, it's the, someone People told me on say the, it's gold. 
yeah. yeah. And they and they were like, "Oh, are you that cocky where you think you're gold?" And I was like, "Oh man, I, I, that's I, I so think awesome." About that. Uh, last <laughs> night I had gold a, or something. Uh, no. I was we had a live show last night, and I was telling people you were coming on the show, and I go, I don't know, I was pontificating on what AU meant, and that's what people threw out there that it's it's the uh, it's the no, gold no, periodic no. chart. Definitely not that egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> And and will you tell – there was another part of the story that I really liked about when you were – how the concept in your head of how you made the sign, the clothing for um, Jen Pl- – what was his name? Jens Pulver. Jens Pulver. Um, mm-hmm. Will you tell, talk about that, about the packaging, the inspiration, how, what, what it came from? Do you remember um, that part of the story yeah, you were telling? Yeah, you know, when it, it was so long ago, and it was, you know, in my head, I'd, I'd followed the UFC since um, the very beginning. So I was a huge fan, and in my head, it was it was big. Um, when I got inside the inner circle of it, I, I started seeing that the infrastructure was nothing. The only thing that was big was the actual UFC. The companies that took care of the fighters and the sponsorships and all that stuff, there was nothing there. So it was kind of like the wild, wild west. So... Back then, people would get their sponsors. They'd have a black vinyl banner thrown over the cage, and they'd just throw logos up like postage stamps all over it. And then their, the fighters would come out wearing, yeah, the fighters would come out wearing, you know, red shorts with a green shirt, and nothing, nothing was packaged. And and the the, the sponsorships that were represented on the athletes weren't represented appropriately, in my opinion, as a de- as a designer and a marketer. So I took that opportunity to, uh, in my head, when Jens walked to the cage, I was, I, I told myself he was going to look like an action figure. You know, when you buy it, you know, I, I used to collect GI Joes when I was a kid and the packaging for them, they used to have the cardboard background and then you'd have the little action figure standing in, inside the little plastic bubble. Um, and I wanted Jens to look like that. I wanted everything to match. So I wanted, and all of the sponsors that were taking care of them, I wanted to have the appropriate hierarchy on them so that they would get the the fair play on TV as well. So when he came out, I, that's what I did. I designed it. It looked like he was wearing a uniform uh, and he looked like an action figure. And when he stood in front of his banner before the fight, when his name was being announced, it, it looked like he was had that cardboard backing of the action figure toy package. Uh, so that was, that was kind of my thought. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. And then immediately you got another client because of that. Yeah, Jeff Curran, who is also now still one of my one of my best friends. He's retired now as well. He's a pioneer and a legend as well. Big Frog. Uh, I, he fought in the main event that night against Uriah Faber, and I had seen Jeff on the reality show Tap Out. Uh, and I remember I watching that show. I, I actually liked him a lot because, um, yep, that's him. I actually liked him a lot because the way he carried himself. Cause the, the guys from tap out were crazy. They were like throwing fireworks in the gym and stuff like that. And Jeff was like, guys, we got to train, you know, like he settled everybody. He took the, the role of a, what you would think a leader would do and calmed everything down so that we could focus on training. So I liked his demeanor then. And I actually walked up to him after the show and introduced myself to him and just told him that. And then I guess the following week he got my number from Jen's or somebody and he ended up calling me. Uh, and he asked me if I would represent him too, because he liked what I did with Jens. And, and then he's, he said that he would give me his entire fight team. And at that time, Jeff had a, one of the biggest gyms in in the Chicago area and a huge fight team. So he gave me all of the athletes in his gym to represent. And I was like, man, I'm on my way, you know, still wasn't making any money um, or not much. Um, and then, uh, 
yeah, it just kept growing from there. Um, you know, what year I, was this? 2007. Uh, you know, it's interesting about that in, in, in par- paralleled in my, and how, how old are you, Brian? 50. Okay. I'm 49. Uh, I turned 50 in March. Okay. Um, in 2000, in 2006, I came across this thing. I, I was producing some shows for ESPN, some arm wrestling shows. And I came across a guy who was really buff and we started, he was he's one of the security guards there. And, uh, we started talking. He told me he did this thing called CrossFit and he told me about how he worked out. And I just thought he was lying because no, no one, there's no way anyone does that stuff. And then I went home and I looked online and yep, there was something called CrossFit that was pretty wild. This was in 2006. And at the in somewhere in 2006, I emailed the owners of CrossFit, Greg Glassman and Lauren Glassman, his wife at the time. And I said, Hey, you guys need videos on your website. And you remember the web then was slow as shit. Like people were afraid mm-hmm. to even put pictures on the web. Like then the sites wouldn't pull up and fast enough. Right. <laughs> right. But they started making me have videos for them. And then flash forward, I ended up being there for 15 years. And, and I worked the first year there for free. And then by the end, I was the media director, uh, went from 300 gyms to 15,000 gyms. I was maybe the top executive awesome. in the company. Yeah. And I just climbed the ranks and I just stayed. I, 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 I just put my head down. I was, I was living in my motor home at the time. Just, you know, anytime someone would call me, I would just go out and make a show for them or commercial or whatever. But I was just living the dream on the beach. And, uh, it's, it's funny that it happened right around that same time. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool story. And, uh, and I, and I think I, re- I think Greg, and, and I'm not sure if I was in the meeting, we met with the tap out guys. And, and I, I think that w- their story was, is basically they made a fortune on t-shirts, right? Oh, they made a killing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just, I think they flew out to Prescott to meet with Greg in a G five or something like that. Yeah, or maybe yeah, they, they didn't they, have a G five. Maybe were, it was a G four. They were killing it. They were a huge company at one point. Everybody had it. What what happened to them? Did just just brands come and go? Is that or does no one no one wears so, that anymore? Well, you know, Charles, the owner, um, passed away in a tragic car accident. Oh uh, shit! I didn't know that. They call him. He was called Mask. Um, he was the one that had the face paint and scrape and punk ass are the two others that were uh, his partners. Uh, once he passed away. He was kind of, he definitely was the visionary for, you know, putting the brand out there. Uh, I know Dan and, and, and Scrape, they were, they were also doing a lot. Dan was a lot of, a lot of the, the business um, infrastructure behind the scenes. But I think uh, Charles was the guy that really pushed the marketing and really pushed the boundaries with everything. And once he passed away, I think it took a personal toll on all three of them. Yeah, that's him in the middle there because they were all best friends. I think, I, I don't know how far back they went, but they were, they were, very very close and when that piece of the puzzle was gone i just i don't know if they they had the motivation to keep it going so i think they sold the the company or the licensing rights to the company to another company which took it over and they don't really have anything to do with it anymore that that you know what's i'm just thinking this so i'm a huge fan of the ufc and i'm trying to get more into more into MMA in general, you know, I'm trying to have broaden my interest to Bellator. There's only so much time in the day. Right. But, and if you're just into the UFC, just it's three hours every Saturday. And then if you want to dip into the contender series and tough and now, and now you're interested in Bellator, now you're over going to Europe to cage warriors. It's like, my God, this is getting to be a ridiculous too much. But that being said, I love the UFC. I love Dana White. I love everything they stand for. I, I, um, I, I think it's sort of a, um, sometimes I wonder if it's a, you know, I don't eat, I don't eat sugar, but sometimes I feel like this enjoying fighting is like eating sugar. It's like almost like a, uh, 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty pure sport, you know, and everybody says, is it fixed, you know, and like, like everybody says boxing is fixed and stuff like that. Um, no, people say that I've never, that's funny. I've never thought that boxing. Well, I thought, I mean, back in the day when I was a kid, I would hear stuff like that about Don King, but you know, I was in the fourth grade and kids, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. Shit. I, 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 I don't know <laughs> the intricacies of boxing as much. I, I can tell you that when you get a boxer, that's like got a record of like 30 and oh, you yeah. know, you, there's probably 27 people on that guy's record that shouldn't be there. Like that wow. type of thing. But I don't think that, I mean, like, I don't think that there's, I, 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 I can't see where anybody has taken a dive. You know, like, oh, I'm going down on the third. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's happened. And I'm, but you mean more that. fixed, like imbalanced workouts, uh, imbalanced, imbalanced matchups. Right, matches, matches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where the UFC does not really do that. But, you know, the UFC is everybody in the UFC is good. Uh, every, every single, every single one of them. Um, and there's even, and the sport is getting so popular now that there's even fighters in, I mean, these smaller shows, you know, Cage Warriors, Titan, CFFC, LFA, you know, all these shows have fighters that are UFC caliber guys uh, that could come up and they, they do. This is where the UFC pulls their athletes from. They pull them from these regional shows and these guys burst onto the scene and, you know, sometimes they're destroying people right out of the end. Like, where has this guy been this whole time, you know? Um, and where I was going with that, the tap out thing and the UFC thing is I would never wear UFC gear. Just I, I just wouldn't. I, I'm not interested in anyone thinking that like I think I'm a fighter. I'm not like I just think of <laughs> UFC gear, but I would wear tap out gear maybe. Do you know what I mean? Like I Well that's what that's what tap out took off. I think initially tap out blew up because when you wore a tap out shirt, you, you immediately felt tougher. And a lot of people did that, you know, because they were like, Oh man, he's wearing a tap out shirt. He must know how to fight, you know. <laughs> And, and that's you know well that's, shit then never mind I'm not wearing that <laughs> <laughs> no I mean but that's 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 why it exploded because there was a certain level of you know uh, confidence behind that brand mm -hmm. uh, but then and the, but then what happened is like 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 Van Dutch you know um, everybody had it right and, and and that's when it started to to to, to lose a little bit I think but I, I honestly think it was when Charles died is what yes. all who knows where that company would be right now if, if, if he was still around. I, I don't think anyone should be wearing a CrossFit shirt who doesn't do CrossFit either. I mean, whatever that means, I don't think that. But like my mom, my mom's 77 years old. She's been doing CrossFit since she's 69. She puts on a CrossFit shirt and she wears it to her book club reading. And like, you know, all the other women know that my mom will fucking outrun them. If there's a fire in the building, she's gone. You know what I mean? They know that she'll run yeah. down the stairs. They know she can do a pistol. They know she can, you know, back squat 80 pounds. Like, and you should you should wear that shit with pride. It's you should know that like yeah, I go to the gym three days a week and I hurt. <laughs> yeah, I, I also don't see a problem with you know if you're a fan, like if you're a Motley Crue fan and you have a Motley Crue concert tee, you know right. it doesn't mean you think you're singing with Motley Crue. But <laughs> right, right, you know, you're right. a band so, member now. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I have I, right. I don't have a problem with fans wearing it. I, I think you know you MMA has. Uh, I mean, I will say they have the best fans and they have the worst fans. Like, and I think a lot of sports say that, but MMA fans can be incredible, but they can also be the biggest bunch of assholes you've ever met. So, uh, cause everybody's got, everybody's got to criticize. Oh, keep your hands up. You know, he only dropped his hand, went through the shut up, you know, like, unless you're going to do it, shut up, you know, but, uh, yeah, uh, but I don't have a problem with when I see people wearing the shirt. I think it's cool to see that the sport's growing. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I I, I just see um it, it and it's my own hang up. But with CrossFit, I sort of see it as a cult. Um, and and I don't say that with any negative or pejorative, nothing derogatory. I just see it as cult. Just like it. Um, I don't wear a cross because I don't. I'm not a Christian. You know what I mean? Like I, I just yeah. sort of see it that way. But, um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. I saw it was, you said something about um, like the fights aren't set up and good fighters fight good fighters and the UFC is the real deal and everyone's good. I was just seeing who might fight Daniel Rodriguez next. Oh, yeah. So there's two guys who could be superstars. Daniel Rodriguez, um, he's the, the welterweight. And then I saw Kevin Holland is dropping down to welterweight and that they might match these two up. And there's a perfect example of two guys that they might want to preserve to meet like in three years, right? Or in two years, you have these two guys who are amazing, but instead they're fucking, they might throw them in the same cage in no, February I mean, and, and we might see it, these. Yeah, uh, it could happen. It just depends on, you know, when a fighter changes uh, weight classes uh, like that, they, their, their ranking doesn't necessarily stay. So they they kind of become fair game to anybody that might be a good test for them in that new division. So the UFC does not, you know, yeah, there's seldom do I see them trying to protect anybody uh, when it comes to, to matchups. They want to they want to put on good fights, exciting fights. And, uh, you know, that's that's where it's at. You know, I'd love to see Kevin Holland, you know, down there and see what he can do. He's an exciting fighter. Yeah. And Daniel Rodriguez is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I think a lot of people see your job as kind of the dream job. I went to UC Santa Barbara and there was the kids who like wanted to be managers so bad. Right. And they, and they collected bands, the local bands, and they would have like 10 bands that, you know, lived in town and they would, and they sort of played, they, they put the, uh, um, cart before the horse, so to speak. They started playing manager and then got the bands. And and I've made uh, 10 movies, 10 documentaries, maybe more. And I never viewed myself as a director of movies. I just couldn't, for some reason. Yeah. I just did. I just made movies. Do you see yourself? Like, so go ahead. Yeah. That's the other part of it. You know, for in, in the MMA space, like I told you, when I got in, it was the wild, wild west. There's no certifications to be a manager or to do anything like that. You just, if you could get to know people and put together your own roster and represent them properly, you, you keep moving forward till the next day. Um, and it's still kind of like that today. There's no real certifications. I mean, there are, there are now there are established companies, you know, and, and thankfully we're one of them. Um, but there are people coming in this sport every day that are trying to be managers and they don't know. I, it's, it's, I feel hypocritical saying they don't know what they're doing because I didn't know what I was doing, but I mean, they come in, I think the biggest mistake they make is they come in and they, they're thinking the UFC is now, you know, when I thought it was big back then, well, it's huge now. It's even bigger now. So they're coming in and they're, they, they fill their fighters' heads with expectations that are not correct. Um, and they're like, well, you know, oh, you should have, you should have a Nike deal or you should have this and that. Like, it's just, it's not there yet. You don't even compete in shoes, you know? Um, so it's a lot of, a lot of, uh, rookie managers come in and, and, and kind of, muddy the water a little bit there and you know sometimes they go to other companies and they come up in the other companies and and that's fine too but again uh the biggest problem you see there is that these 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 guys don't know how to develop their own clients so they go out and they try to steal clients 
uh, from other management companies. And then they, they talk about, you know, what they're going to promise the promise the moon to these athletes. And, and, you know, you would hope that the athletes are smarter than that, but sometimes they, sometimes they aren't, you know, people get in people's ears. It happens in, in Hollywood. It happens in all other sports, uh, you know, um, and that's, you know, that's what you're always constantly battling. Um, there's a, the, in CrossFit, there's an athlete named Matt Fraser. He won the CrossFit games five times. He ended up getting a big Nike contract. Uh, he's got a huge following. And when he's basically CrossFit followed the same path that what you were saying. And, and his manager, Matt O'Keefe is in similar shoes to you. He met Matt. He wasn't a manager. He started managing Matt. They built an, an insane friendship. Matt became a superstar. And along the way, O'Keefe was really good to him, really good to his career, a really positive influence. They had great synergy. And now this guy, Matt O'Keefe has all the biggest athletes in in crossfit he's got the biggest events he's got an incredible reputation um and and, and he they they kind of they grew each other mm-hmm. yeah through the through the relationship and and he talks similar to you i think he would refer to matt as his best friend yeah i mean i could see how that industry and sport would grow in a very similar fashion because it, it did kind of come up pretty quickly and grow very fast i don't follow it uh but i've i've been I've been approached several times, uh, you know, on if we would take on CrossFit athletes and stuff like that, but it's just not my wheelhouse. You know, I don't, I don't want to, and, and yeah, MMA wasn't my wheelhouse when I started either, but I feel like I, I, I know this sport so I can speak confidently about it. I, I don't know the CrossFit end at all. I didn't follow it before or any, any of that. So, you know, we're, we're, we're staying focused and, uh, you know, happy to do what we're doing. You say you're staying focused, you say, but there is creep. You have great clients like Paul Felder who are forcing you to get into TV, movies. (laughs) Well, I mean, (laughs) and I'm so excited when I see that, by the way, because my question to you is, is like, is he taking on actors and actresses? Would he take on an NBA star? And I'm like, oh, shit, his clients are going to force him out of and out of uh you know not out as in like to leave it but to expand yes yes if the path goes there like everything in in all business is about networking you know and and who you know and how you get to know the people so as i get to know people in the hollywood end you know and i recognize my clients coming up that have the personality to to carry themselves there you know i'm gonna push that direction and and yeah we've we've done great with paul he's uh he's one of the best analysts on espn and he's got a, a, re- a reoccurring gig now on um, the HBO Max series Hacks, uh, which, you know, which he's going back to film here very shortly for the season two. And, you know, it wasn't difficult with Paul because he's he's so charismatic on camera. Like he is he's really good. And he went to school uh, for, uh, you know, for, for theater. Like he acted. There's actually pictures of him in. I had no Romeo idea on Juliet tights and stuff like that. Like he's, you know, he's a full blown actor, so he's very good. So, um, and that's what I also try to focus on Like when my clients have a, a niche that they're passionate about, well, that's the best way to get them endorsed by companies that they're actually organically passionate about. Uh, Paul was always passionate about being on camera and, and acting. Um, so, you know, we just, you know, fate has brought us here, I, I guess, you know, it's hard to, Hard to say how I got. I still don't realize sometimes that I'm here 15 years later or 14 years later. 
Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I, the, the more and more I hear about you, the more and more I looked at your Instagram, the more interviews I saw you do, you were literally just, you you remind me so much of, um, I know it sounds derogatory because you're a smart version of it, but just Forrest Gump, you're just in this flow of your life. And life <laughs> is just, that, you're not, um, there's not some something you're chase, chasing to fulfill some pathology of yours, you're instead just flowing. And you're you're just participating at the highest level. You're just being present at the highest level, and, and good things are happening to you. Would, would Rose ever take Pat's last name just to make it easy? Roseberry. Hey, Rose. Oh, and we have champion Roseberry instead of uh, Rose. Will you say her last name for me? Nama Yunus. Nama Yunus. I mean, it's a great last name. It's just that there's a lot of idiots like me in the world. <laughs> you know what? I've long as, I, uh, as I've known them, I've never even asked that question. So I, I can't actually, <laughs> actually answer that. What kind of last name I, is I, that? I, I, Nama Yunus. Uh, Lithuanian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. I'll ask this, today. <laughs> this guy, um, this guy, uh, Durden, the fighter who beat the guy from China, uh, last week or two weeks ago. Did you see that? And he said, he, he oh, said, uh, the wrestler i forget his name i, I hadn't heard of him before he fought yeah, the guy from it, Ch- he fought the guy from china and then daniel cormier was um interviewing him and and he said i send his ass packing back to china and then daniel went back to the broadcast booth and said when people start going there i'm going to uh, I, I stopped the interview and i i have a little bit of a problem with that because if he would have said i'm packing that armenian back to armenia or that uh, Aussie back to Australia. I don't. And if you go to this guy Durden's Instagram account, you know the hordes are there. The cancel culture is there, trying to cancel him. And I know it's sensitive around. I know there's sensitivities around China right now. But did you do you see that as racist in any way? Like to say that? No, there's a lot of stuff that I don't see as racist, though. You know, I, I think people are oversensitive right now because of the cancel culture, and it's starting to affect and make normal people more paranoid than they yeah. would be or should be. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think that I think that DC is a a pretty normal guy, but I think that you know him being on TV and having the uh, persona that he has, he's he he might be a little more paranoid as to. You know what's going on. I mean, let's let's face it. Cancel culture is ridiculous. It's gotten out of hand, in my opinion. Uh, and um, it's gotten out of hand times times ten, in my opinion. So I'm 10. right. I'm yeah, right. Like with I, you. I can't, I can't, I can't take it. Uh, but you know, and that's what's uh, kind of cool about the UFC, right? Dana's got his fingers up in the air. Like, fuck you, man. We got to keep this shit real. People are getting punched in the face. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, that's 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 one thing that Dana has has done, and. He, he was the one I feel like he was um, very responsible for bringing sports back online, you know, not just the UFC, but all sports followed the UFC, you know, after COVID started. And uh, that was, you know, because of Dana, I don't think things would have come back online as fast without him. So, you know, uh, credit, credit to him on that, you know, um, I'm not here to, 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 to kiss his butt, but he did a great job there, you know. Uh, Johnny Foreman, the comment says, haven't clicked on a live so fast. Thought you had Rose on. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we'll pick his brain about Rose. Um, we, this, this is Brian Butler. Ow. Did I say it right? Brian Butler. Um, ow? Yes. And, uh, um, 
he is the CEO founder of Sucker Punch. He's a manager to a lot of great athletes, including Rose Nama Yunus. So how do you, how, how does that happen? How does someone like Rose, um, can you tell me about that relationship, how it started with Pat and then how you got Rose and then how you guys drifted ways and how you guys came back together? So Pat was one of my first clients after I met Jeff Kern and he get Jeff gave me his entire team. Uh, you know, this, this wave of other, other clients came around and, uh, I met Duke Rufus, uh, and Pat was training at Duke Rufus's gym at the time. And, you know, I started working with Pat when, you know, Pat first got into the UFC and, uh, from there, you know, uh, that relationship grew Rose also trained at Duke's and I started working with Rose, uh, as soon as she turned pro getting her into Invicta and things like that. And, um, she was very, you know, gosh, I can't even remember how old she was, but she was like 18, 19 years old and fighting in Invicta. And then the ultimate fighter, uh, for the girls came around, uh, season 20 and I had, managed, uh, several of the girls on that cast as well. So it was Rose, Carla and Felice, uh, going into that cast. And when that came out, uh, Rose was killing it uh, on that show and everybody was in the dark because they kept everything in a bubble. But all we knew is that Dana, you know, really liked Rose because Rose was just in there finishing everybody. Um, and then when they came out, it ended up being Rose and Carla fighting each other. Wow. Um, uh, for the, for the belt, which was, you know, an awkward situation for me because I managed both of them, but that's happened a few times now. Good problems uh, to have. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, people say that, but it's a very stressful situation. And anytime I have two of my guys or girls fight each other, I, uh, I'm not a fan of it, you know, cause you know, I'm, it doesn't put me in a good spot. Boy, that's but, healthy. That, that's, that yeah. shows you're still human, huh? Well, I can't, you know, like I can't, not give someone an opportunity because I represent the other person, you know, there you're in my opinion, you're in the UFC, you're in the NFL now, and the Redskins are going to play the Cowboys at this level. You know, you know, I don't do that. I wouldn't put my clients against each other in the regional scene where I'm trying to build them up to get them to the UFC. I, that won't happen. But once you're in the UFC, you've done what you needed to do and you might have to fight each other. You know, I mean, it just is what it is. So, Uh, can we stop there real quick and explain that to people because you're it's like a pyramid and at the regional level you can find ways of 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 furthering their careers without having them fight each other but now when you're in the ufc you're at the top of the pyramid and there's there's only one staircase and you guys both are going up it at the same time is that you're both aiming for the belt yeah yeah everybody's aiming for that belt at the ufc and i and who am i to say no you can't do it because i manage this person as well so Right. You know, but in the regional scene, there's not enough money being paid to these guys. These guys and girls, they're just fighting to try to get to the big show to make a career. So um, I'm not going to put two of my prospects against each other and set one of them back a year or two with a loss, you know, because someone's losing that fight. Um, and whoever. And loses losses are bad, right? Losses are bad for so many reasons, right? They're, they're, people, yeah, they're people love bad, the O. But- yeah, they're 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 bad because I mean, undefeated is great, but if you have like a good win streak going, that's great as well, you know. Um, but a, a loss on the regional scene can set you back from getting signed to a big show, you know, for a year, maybe even two. Depends. You, you after you lose, you got to put together a win streak of you know two three fights, and that can take yeah. a year to 
to get. Um, and the regional scene is so shaky with how, you know, fighters don't show up, you know, it's not as professional as, as the UFC because the athletes aren't making as much money. It's just sketchier. You know, you're still weeding out the real fighters from the Facebook profile picture fighters, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's how that works. And once they get to the, the big show, Bellator, UFC, one FC, all of these major shows, I consider the big show PFL. Um, once you get there, you might have to fight each other cause you're, you're making real money now. When you have two fighters that are that are that you're representing that are fighting each other, how do you manage that expectation? Does it start to become like a worry of the favorites, like he's putting too much into one or another? Is that conversation had prior to the fight with both of them before it gets you know heated as it gets closer to the fight? It, I I, I think that 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 um, topic bounces around in in their heads sometimes, but I always try to address it up front. I'm like, guys, I was like, this is the matchup that's going to happen. It's like if you want it we can make it happen. If you don't want it, we don't have to make it happen. But I, I can't tell you, I don't want it. You know, you have to tell me. And if you want it, right. you know, uh, you know, I don't like it. I, I don't like it whenever I see my people fight each other. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's just a tough position. So yeah, sometimes it happens and the fighters get it in their head that I was favoring one over the other or this and this. And, you know, sometimes I lose, you know, I've, I've, I've lost fighters, because they've fought each other in the, in, in the big show. And uh, even though I was up front with it, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I, you know, fighters deal with a lot of pressures, a lot of mental pressures as well. So I, I understand that, you know, what goes on in their head can be, you know, not necessarily rational at times because, you know, they're, they're in a high pressure sport, high pressure business. So for sure. So, um, how did you actually find Rose the very first time? Like, what, 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 what did you see? How did she come? Pat, how did you? That was the cross- one. Pat, Pat said right away uh, when he saw her training in the gym. He's like, "Man, this girl is going to be a world champ." And 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 I was like, "Okay," you know. And you look at her, and you're like, mm, "She's pretty small. She's a tiny girl." And I don't. She doesn't even look. You know, she actually looks like a girl. You know, like uh, so. But Pat was very confident in her from right away. And Pat's Pat's a bit of a a savant when it comes to that too. He's a, he's a very good coach and he's got a very good eye. Um, and yeah, he called that, he called that out. He's and called every single fight that she's won too. And, and, and they're, and they're, they weren't dating at the time. No. And they're married now, right? They're engaged. Engaged. Okay. Okay. So, so then she comes out of the ultimate fighter, um, and she starts this path and you're her, you're her manager. And, and why does she, for, for what you can tell us without being too, uh, prying too hard, how do you guys grow apart? How does that happen? Oh, she fought Carla, uh, coming off the show, you know, and there was, you know, possibly, possibly people in her ear saying that there was a conflict of interest and stuff like that. So it just got weird, you know, and she was young and didn't, you know, being thrown into the the spotlight the way she was, um, you know, just thought that there was a conflict. So, you know, she ch- decided to take a different different path for for a bit. But that entire time that that was going on, I uh, I was you know, Pat Pat never broke off communication with me over it, and Pat was always telling me, you know, you know, could, Pat ended up taking over a lot of the man, and he still does now. Pat's like the main organizer for everything. Um, but, 
I, he Pat would call me up and ask me questions about this, about the contract, about this or whatever, you know, and I would always be there. I never, I never turned my back on, on her. So I, a couple of years later, uh, you know, things got to the point where Rose again, she, she, she got her belt back and she was, you know, asking, you know, things, business was just getting crazy on her, on her again. And, um, just got to the point where I was like, Pat, man, I was like, why don't we just, I'm do I'm, I'm working behind the scenes with you so much. I was like, why don't we just get the elephant out of the room? And, um, we, we, we met back up and we talked and it was a really cool moment for me, you know, because I typically don't even go back with fighters once they've left, but, you know, Rose and, and, and I got back together when she was the champ. It wasn't like, usually when I have as a fighter will call me up after they, they'll fire me and then they'll fire me when they're on a high and then they'll call me when they've lost a bunch, <laughs> right, you know, right, right. they're not going to come back or something like that. But with Rose, she was the champ, you know, she was at the top, top. So, um, it was, it was, and, and plus, you know, like, how do you not love Rose? You know, she's, she's, she's definitely special. Um, did you, when you, when your parents divorced, did they stay friends? And where I'm going with that is, is I'm wondering how you learn not to burn bridges. My parents are divorced and they're extremely good friends. And, and it's had a they huge were very Im- impa- impact on my life, their friendship. Yeah. Uh, it, my, my mom never uh, did anything to keep my, my, my dad away from us. And, uh, you know, funny stories when my dad, when my dad, passed, my dad remarried as well. And when my dad passed, um, my mom was on one side of the bed and my stepmother, Susanna was on the other side and my Susanna and my mom, um, they were very, very good friends as well. And my mom just passed away last year. And when she passed away, Susanna was there. So, um, yeah, my mom never, never burnt a bridge with my dad. And and do you think that maybe one of the reasons why you, you excel at what you do? That's a good question. Uh, I never thought of it like that. I, I just, yeah, maybe I never, never thought about that, man. Um, are you I like emotionally that, more mature than most people? You think you think you have a higher uh, emotional IQ than most people? You know, my partners would probably say different because when we're behind the scenes, <laughs> I <I'm> bet <laughs> and I'll send them They're like, don't say that. I was like, of course I'm not going to say that, but I'm just saying it to you. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I just feel like burning bridges. I don't like to do that. I, I, I know that I've, you know, in, in my long history of being in business, I, you never know when business can come back to you. And, and I've had people come back to me after seven, eight years of meeting them and I've never did anything, you know, crazy with them, but they were like, man, I've always respected you and liked you. Let, let's do business now. And you never know when it comes around, but burning bridges, I think that's the other thing a lot of, you know, people in this, you know, management companies in this space do. They don't, they don't care. They just, they'll, they'll torture bridge in a second. It's like, you're, you're stupid, you know? So I don't know. I just don't like to burn bridges. Uh, Matt, what's the definition of emotional IQ? Do you, I'll bring it up. I do. How cutthroat does it get between agents though? Because I've heard some stories of like NFL agents or like Hollywood agents going through some extreme measures to steal somebody else's client or a big name person as far as to plant um, paid women in bars to seduce them so the agent could get a photo of them with another woman when they're married, um, headed to the room or in this hotel just to show them and say, Hey, look, here's what your agent missed. Here's what I could do for you. You know, this is how deep we go. Is there any, is that the same similar scene in the, in the MMA world as well? 
That's wow, some dirty that's shit. Deep. You act, that's, that's some dirty. dirty shit, Matt. Um, it's and then how do you it, go with someone like that? Then, then basically they're coercing you. Yeah, like you just showed your integrity. You don't care about me. You just showed me you have no integrity. Right, but oh, that's only if they find out. Well, I mean, yes, there are there are you know uh, there are certain managers in this business that are that shady. Um, I've I've never heard of going to that extreme, but I've heard of starting rumors to 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 defame somebody or you know, or just going at, going after their clients. And it's a, it's a constant thing. I, I, I don't do that. I, you know, me and my partner, Brian Hamper and, and our team, you know, we, we always tell everybody right out of the gate, we will not poach a fighter from another management company, even the ones, even from the managers that I can't stand. We just won't do it because I'm just not going to get into that cesspool with them. You know, we're going to hold ourselves to a higher fray than that. And, um, we don't do it, but, uh, they they definitely are 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 doing anything they they can to to take it away. And I, what I don't understand is, you know, you can look at these people, and you can see they they physically look like used car salespeople. And like, so how are you even buying their shit? You know, right. but I guess, you know, if you're dumb enough to buy their shit and you're dumb enough to go with them, then you kind of deserve what's going to end up happening. And then I'll expect a phone call in a couple of years. You know. Uh, you need a manager to protect yourself from a manager i know well yeah i suppose emotional intelligence gets crazy emotional intelligence the capacity to be aware of control and express one's emotions and to handle interpersonal relationships judiciously and empathetically yeah you probably got that you probably got lots of that yeah especially with uh the people that you used to work with in multiple years later coming back, that really validifies that. Anthony, Anthony says in the comments, do I have to pay to get a question answer for a show? No, you have to get your own fucking podcast and invite Brian Butler on. That's how you get to ask your own fucking questions. Uh, Emotional no, I'm just joking, Anthony. What do you want? Anthony, don't screw this up. I'm, we're getting deeper. We're getting deeper. Okay. Uh, will he ever manage from fighters, from fighters one, since he is half Asian? Uh, that, that's why I didn't ask the question, but we'll ask it anyway. <laughs> I do. I, I, I manage, uh, Elise Anderson. Uh, she is a Adam weight that is signed to one FC and she's, uh, up and coming little superstar. Bam. Anthony, now give me your money. Uh, is, is the goal always to get them to the UFC? Is that, or no? No, you know, it depends. You know, some fighters, some fighters want to fight in one. They, 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 they like the Asian culture and they want to fight in one. Um, some fighters, you know, want to go to Bellator. I have several fighters that think they'd, they'd rather be in Bellator. There's different cultures in different promotions. So um, because of that, you know, a lot of the fighters that do want to end up in the UFC. But then you've got fighters that want to go to PFL because PFL is just throwing out million dollar checks to people. You know, so now that's gaining some traction and a lot of people are like, damn, I could go there. You had a dude win that, right? The million bucks. Two dudes. Who did you have win it? Uh, Ray Cooper and Raush Monfile. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, are you just, I mean, I know you don't get the money, but are you just beside yourself? Like one of my friends just um, is about to win the division two Heisman. Uh, His name's Tyson Bajant. And it's not my son, but when I think about it, I get goosebumps. I'm just like so happy for my friend. I'm like beside myself. When, when your fighters win that, are you just like, Oh, Raush, one of the, one of the guys that wanted the lightweight Raush Monfayo, 
I was so happy for him, man. He, uh, he was ready to quit. He was ready to quit the sport. And I was trying to, I, I, I've been managing him for almost, I don't know, almost two years. And I couldn't get him a fight because nobody would fight him because he looks like a, a specimen and he had a reputation as being, you know, a, a killer. Um, and, uh, uh, when he won it, when I, when I, I, I remember he called me, he was telling me he was ready to give up and go back to Brazil and this and this. And, I said, man, just give it a little longer, a little longer. And um, it was actually the the day of my mom's funeral. Uh, I got the phone call and I got him accepted into PFL. And he just broke down crying because uh, it was finally could, he could fight and actually make some money. And I had just loaned him, I, I don't know, like $1,000 so he could pay rent. Oh, and my he had goodness. No, he had no money to pay rent. So I loaned him rent money just to get him through. Then he got signed to the PFL as a as an alternate he wasn't even signed originally he was like a substitute and went in and beat anthony pettis and just started beating everybody and then won the million bucks and now he so he went from having that zero to beat cash. anthony pettis yep holy cow that yeah, is that the 2020 having, uh or 2020 he just what? won it a couple months ago oh i'm gonna go back and watch the whole thing holy cow that is awesome he didn't beat Anthony for the million. He beat Anthony in the season to get him yeah. into the tournament. I hear you. Crazy. Um, yeah. So he, he went from having negative funds to having a, a million dollars. He's bought himself a car. He's got a nice apartment now. And, you know, now I'm trying to, yep. Now there he is with his new car, trying to help him, you know, he's, he's just great. He, 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 he could not, it was, the funny thing was he, he couldn't wait to pay me my, uh, pay us the, uh, the management fee, which was, the management fee out of out of his purse was more money than he's ever had in his life. <laughs> when you win a million dollars, you know what I mean. So yeah, it was just really cool, and it, he's super grateful, and he's just a, a super nice guy. So I I was so happy for him, him and his family. Are you personally good with money? What do you mean? Like like Brian Butler? Like are you smart with money? Like your own personal uh, finances and like paying I your like bills and like like yeah, I like to hits. think I am. Look at that bar he's sitting in, baby. <laughs> yeah, did he buy, um, and the reason why I ask is, do you give advice to those guys? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I do. You do. And, I, the, do. They, I don't claim to be an expert. I claim to have made my own mistakes, and now I can tell them how to avoid it. You know, and I put my money into, you know, I, I put my money into real estate. You know. Yeah, um, me too. That's where I you know, I go, I've got a little bit in the stock market, but for me, I, I want to have control and, you know, the real estate's kind of where I put stuff. You know, I, I put money in real estate because, um, it's kind of like saving it. it like soon, like I just put all my money in real estate cause that way I can't spend it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm not good with money, so I just put everything in real estate. So the second I get a big chunk of money, I just pay down mortgages. I just buy another house. I just keep just keep pushing forward in real estate. And boy, since shit's hit the fan, it's been so fucking great. What It's the ultimate parachute to have a property that, that's paid off and people paying rent. That's another thing. A lot of people will tell you, hey, it's not smart. The interest rates are so low. Don't pay off your property. Just get more property. I didn't do that. I just paid off property after property after property. And holy shit, if I wouldn't have done that, and I have three little kids, yeah. I'd be screwed. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes me happy. So so you're one year older than me. You're into real estate. And, and we both have Forrest Gump tendencies. I'm really liking you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I worked at CrossFit Inc. and it was a privately owned company and it was run by one of the smartest human beings I believe to ever walk the planet. It was a man named Greg Glassman and he was singularly focused and he basically defined fitness. Fitness didn't have a definition before Greg came along and he defined it in the sense that he gave it a scientific definition, a work capacity across broad time and modal domains. He put, uh, he brought the, uh, f- uh, physics to it and he, he quantified what, um, working out so that it could be measurable and repeatable like real science. And his dad was the um, head scientist at Hughes aircraft. So his dad, you know, was a, 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 a military guy and, you know, a, a rocket scientist. And so Greg was brilliant and he owned this. He basically grew this thing to 15,000 gyms in 162 countries. It was growing faster than Starbucks and subway combined. He made the barrier entry super duper low. You basically just had to take this two day course and people who would take the course would be like, and I believe it too, because it changed my life. Holy shit, this two-day course is better than the four-year degree I got from Tennessee Tech in physiology. Like it was so fucking applicable. And it changed people's lives. And he would always say, I didn't invent anything, anything that I'm telling you a 12-year-old could learn on the internet, but I've just put it all together. He was singularly focused on one thing. He owned the entire company. It was the health and wellness and longevity for all of mankind. He didn't take any money from Coca-Cola. He, when, when he did take money from Reebok, when they put out a shoe that said, um, this shoe makes your butt firmer, he went on Twitter and was like, fuck, you guys are idiots, even though they gave him $350 million. You know what I mean? He didn't give a fuck. Then he, then he got canceled, and he, and, and he chose to um, sell his company. And his company was bought by venture capitalists and Greg vanished off into the sunset and he's richer than God. Now he's still a good, good friend of mine. I think he'll be coming on the show and I'm actually, he's sending his jet out to come get me next week. I'm going to go spend a week with him in Scottsdale. Yeah, I'm bragging. And so, um, uh, now the company's owned by venture capitalists and they don't, Greg had a, a moral obligation to, do you know where I'm going with this, Brian? Not yet. Greg, Greg, (laughs) Greg, (laughs) Greg had a moral, Greg had a moral obligation to these 15,000 gyms to stay the fucking course, 50,000 jobs. It's a small business miracle. What CrossFit is. And he, and now these venture capitalists own it and they have, they have a, I don't know if it's a moral obligation, but they have an obligation to make money. Mm. And they've already taken Monster Energy Drink on as a sponsor. And, and it's just it, – it's a different beast. Yeah. So when I originally was looking into you, I saw that you – and you you deal in the same property that CrossFit did, human beings in their lives. There is, there is no, no – no one's selling two hours of their life for $10 million. There's no price you can put on it. Our lives are invaluable. And, um, uh, you, you, so you're managing these people's lives and a company comes along and says, Hey, we want to buy you. And this company is public. It was, um, Alliance MMA, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you get into bed with them and you sell to them. And so then I'm seeing that and I'm like, Oh shit. Wow. As I'm researching you, I'm like, this is, this is kind of crazy. How is he going to be true to his people? but also be true to the almighty dollar. And then as I dig more, I see that you pulled out of the deal. And I'm like, holy shit. Because I don't think people realize until they're in the position you're in how uh, venture capital and going public and all that shit 
I mean, it's it's savage. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah. I mean, where you look at Pfizer. I mean, I, I don't mean to open a big rabbit hole, but like it, it's money at all costs. Yeah. Money before yeah. everything. Can you sorry for the long winded description, but it's fascinating to me because right now CrossFit when Greg sold it, he left, so he can't pull the deal back, right? But now there's these 15,000 gyms and small business owners, and I don't think that they understand what they've gotten themselves into. They went from a sole proprietor who only cared about health and fitness to this company that now wants money. Can you share anything um, about your experience? I'm really curious how you pulled out and why you pulled out, what you, if you can, what you saw that was like, hey, I don't want my fighters involved in this. Well, it, you know, it was the business model itself. You know, when they came to us and approached us, there was a certain model that was going to happen. And we were the only management company involved. Other than that, it was a bunch of regional show promotions that they were trying to link together and create this NCAA type of web uh, for athletes to come in and come up and go to the UFC. Um, so because of that, I, I I knew in my head, I was like, there's no way you're going to get all these promoters to get along and this and this. But they were certain and they had this all this money to, to do it. And uh, I said, well, if it works, it could be great. I just don't think it's going to work. Um, because of that, we protected ourselves on our own island inside the company. So I made sure that, you know, our bank account stayed separate and, and you know, that that we had our autonomy to to do what we wanted because I knew that we were going to be – we were also the money gener- the, the biggest money generator uh, involved with the, with the company. So I, I, I had to protect ourselves. We got in and things were good for a little bit and then they started falling apart because there was too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, and then, you know, uh, when it, when it started going South, you know, people started pulling out and wanting to get out, you know, we, we were like, all right, well, we're out, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you don't have my Rolodex, you don't have my network and this and that. They were like, well, don't go. Cause we're going to sell the company. You know, we're, we're selling the company to a company in the UK. And I don't know what they were, what they were doing. And I was like, well, if you want, and they, and they, they needed us on the books to do it because we were the ones showing profit. Uh, I said, okay, we'll stay on. I was like, but part of the deal is, you know, when you do sell, number one, we get, we basically get money again for staying on and I get everything back rights to my name. Cause they, they, they were going to keep the name of sucker punch and everything, which I didn't really care, but you know, I threw it in there and, uh, they sold, they sold the company to this company in the UK and, um, uh, we got paid again and I got everything back, you know. And I, I never gave up any control to uh, to the company uh, for that jeopardized any of our athletes the entire time. I apologize if I missed it, but but what was was there? What why did you? So you got out not because you were being compromised that you didn't feel the athletes were being compromised. You're just saying that the company wasn't organized enough the company to fulfill was their a, vision. A mess. We I never we, we never let the athletes get compromised from the beginning. Okay, I, that's why I put ourselves on an okay. island to where we had control. And if somebody was going to, the CEO of the, of, of Alliance would try to tell me something like you're going to do, I'm like, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? Really? Okay. I had a whole, I had a, I had a personal (laughs) agenda in asking you that question. I wanted you to tell me something like, yeah, they wanted all of our clients to uh, carry Coca-Cola in their backpack everywhere they went. And and I was like, I thought, I thought there was going to be some, okay. Yeah, they we wouldn't allow them to do that. Like I said, we I knew I knew we always had the steering wheel you know, we, during that whole you know journey. And it wasn't a there were some good parts to it. I met some good people, 
Uh, but like I said, we're, there's no way I was going to compromise and let our clients get taken advantage of uh, during any of that. And got in and out. Do you like um, interacting with people? I do. You do? do. Yeah. How about new? How about new people? Do you have yeah. any social? You don't have any social anxiety. I have social anxiety speaking publicly, uh, doing podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Um, Me too. That's why I ask. I'm wondering if like, if like you just pursue stuff that you're uncomfortable with. No, I, I, I don't do too many of, of these, but, uh, I don't get asked too many, too often either, but, um, I, I just do, I don't know. I just, like you said, go with the flow. Yeah, I can't. I actually can't believe you agreed. Um, did did any part of the reason you agreed to do the podcast? I just realized I had um, you know, I had I had one of your fighters on. Uh, what, Dalton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good dude. He's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That was a that was a, that was a really fun podcast. I really enjoyed yeah, him. Just booked him to fight. Can you tell us who? No. <laughs> Can you tell us the date? Uh. I know it's on my phone and, and actually my low battery warning just came up. So I might have to plug in. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, what a great guy. What? And so how do you find someone like Dalton? Dalton was referred to, um, to us from one of my other longtime fighters, Sabah Hamasi. Uh, I went to, you know, I guess he saw me uh, at a Bellator event with Sabah and saw how I was interacting with Sabah and, um, you know, when he, he was under another management company at the time. And then when he got free of that contract with me, he actually had mentioned to us that he wanted to talk to us. And I told him, I was like, I can't really talk to you until you're out of your contract. And then when he got out of his contract, um, he said he just really loved the way that I interacted with my client Sabah and the relationship we had. And it seemed like I cared and all this, which I do. And um, he wanted that. And we started talking and uh, he, he, he came over uh, when, when he was able to. So that no poaching thing is serious. Yeah, I just don't do it. With a man of integrity. Is there is there uh, boundaries that you set when it comes to serving your fighters? And what I mean by that is if one of them calls at midnight and says, I need X, Y, Z, are you picking up the phone and answering that call? Or are you saying, if I hear hey, the phone ring, I'll, if, I, if, I hear, if I hear the phone ring, I'm picking it up. Um, I, I worked at this home for disabled adults uh, for five years i lived in the driveway in a, in a car there i made a movie about it it's called our house 130 film festival awards anyway enough bragging about myself and there was a lady who worked there with me right the entire time i worked there her name was Haley, and she had a boyfriend and in um when i started there i was low man on the totem pole and i and i was just a barefoot hippie homeless guy and i rose to like having 20 people work work for me and i was living in the driveway in a motorhome making like 22 bucks an hour just balling and there was a lady there she climbed the ranks with me and she was my assistant and the whole time she worked there i was like hitting on her and flirting on her subtly you know but i really liked her i mean shit i was 25 years 23 24 years old and she was beautiful crazy thick red hair so hot so smart so just compassionate but she told me basically hey it is nice as she could hey fuck off i have a boyfriend <laughs> like like it was like it was very like i would, ne- I would you have no fucking chance if i have a boyfriend and now she's my wife but like like the integrity right like i'm like well that's yeah. you passed the test like if she would have fucked me i would have been like probably gonna ruin the whole thing 
Right. <laughs> but like now I know this this girl like and she told me she, and then when she broke up with her boyfriend, she basically said to me like, hey, I don't have that boyfriend anymore. If you're interested in courting me, you, you may continue. And so I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm interested in courting you. You know what I mean? Like, let's go get a cup of coffee now. <laughs> well, good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It just made it. Thank you. Thank you. It just reminds me of, you of, 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 you know, of, of what you said about Dalton. You tell Dalton, hey, sorry, I, I'm you're dating someone and I don't date people who date someone and, and I don't, I'm not interested. And I'm not only do I not date those people, I'm not interested in being in the collapse of the relationship. I'm not interested in partaking in that narrative. And then he comes back and you're like, okay, that's really, I mean, I, that's hardcore. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's good friends with Sabah and he sees Sabah, you know, been with me for forever. So I, I guess it's, that's this most of our business comes that that way either through a coach from a gym that we we know you know they refer us to to clients or from other fighters of ours are are you what do you do what are you doing these days to stay in shape are you do you train daily yeah i, I do uh muay thai a- anything else do you do do you have an a uh, do you ride a like a salt bike or an echo bike nah, or I'm you not go a big, running or no nah, i'm not a big runner i'll do jump rope you know some light weights and 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 kickboxing and and the jump rope and the lightweights are to warm up for the kickboxing. The lightweights are just because I'm 50 years old now and I need to do something to <laughs> stay firm. You know, <laughs> the kickboxing doesn't you know keep you firm. It you know it's it's good cardio and good exercise, but uh, I need some sort of lightweights. I'm not a big weightlifter either. So, and, and your and your son, you're holding mitts for your son. I see in a video on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Both both of my kids, I, I train both of them. How cool is that? And you train them. Are, are you are you freaking out right now because your phone's about to die? It's getting close. If it dies, don't worry. The show's over. The show's over. It's my <laughs> show. I can just end. Um, uh, and and do you get along with your kids when you're training them? How does that go? Yeah, that- yeah. No, I I get along great with them. I look forward to training with them. And it's awesome to see how good they're getting. My my younger son, he's my older son's in college, so I don't train with him as much. But my younger son is, he can throw. He can. I'm getting hit harder than me now, I think. <laughs> Do you have any inner conflict in regards to what what happens in the fight game that it's two human beings hurting each other? Do you do you have do you do you reflect on that? Uh no, I mean I because you know, I've done some amateur fights and it's just fun. And, you know, I don't I, I, I feel like everybody should at least do a little bit of something just for your own confidence and for your own ability to protect your family or whatever. And also to get over that fear, you know, of, holy shit, I'm getting ready to do this. Um, uh, but, you know, obviously I don't ever want to see anybody get hurt seriously. Uh, and that's a very rare thing, but that's the same thing in football or any sport. Right. So there's always inherent risks, but, you know, um, yeah, I'm never. I don't think I've ever been regretful of anybody participating. I don't remember who we had a fighter on. I don't know. I'm trying to think. It, it, maybe it was Volkanovsky. But someone said that there's no better way to look at yourself. There's like, hey, because I fight, because I get into the ring, they basically said there's no – I know myself in a way that like no one else can know themselves unless they get into the fight, into the ring and fight. And in that way, I really, I really respect the journey, but from, from the outside, sometimes I feel bad 
you know, I just like, like, like I have a um, unhealthy appetite for, but, I mean, I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy like other kinds of violence. I'm not like into car yeah. accidents and shit, but for yeah, some yeah. reason I get excited. So for some reason I get excited on Saturdays and like, I, and like I watched the, the Tia female fight. Did you watch that? No. Oh, I didn't. I, why didn't you watch that? Uh, this weekend I had like 27 family members in my house. And- <laughs> 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 yeah, I didn't have time for much. So, um, yeah, no, uh, I think that, you know, you, I don't get anxiety about cause you know, both these athletes have trained, they've trained their asses off for this and it's what they love to do. I understand why they love to do it because there is a certain level of satisfaction you get out of training and being able to implement what you've trained for. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's satisfying. Um, it's, it's interesting you say that too. Uh, Matt and I are around a lot of military guys, a lot of military guys and a lot of seals actually. And the, every single, um, seal that I've known who's come home, they feel like that they need to get back in there and fight. And I go, why aren't you glad to be home? And they go, dude, I train 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to do one fucking job. And that job does is not going to happen with me at home. And so it's, I guess it's kind of like that. If you're a fighter, like you train to fight and you I like mean, an those axe guys, needs to split wood, right? Yeah. But the soldiers, you know, I have a completely different level of respect for it. That's actually, I, yeah. mean, I get it. There's a life threat when you're doing combat sports, but when those guys are going out there, there is a real life threat. So for them to want to do that, that's, that's something that you have to respect. And I'm never going to even come close to trying to compare what they do to sport. You know? Right. I, I guess I just meant in the sense that when someone trains for something like, like military guys, and even with their life on the line, you would think they'd be happy to come home. They still want to get back in there and fight. It's that, it's that yeah, dedication to their craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The firefighters I work with are all itching to go on that fire, but none of them want to see anybody harmed or a house burnt down. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like they train the whole time. So when they get that commercial fire or house fire, they're fire, they're like ready to go. They're out the door. But you speak to any of them afterwards, you know, once the job's done and it's still somebody else's property, somebody else's house. So nobody wants to see that, but they want yeah. to do the job they're training for. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 They want to get on the roof of that burning Costco and cut a hole in it and like risk yep. their lives. Those fucking nuts. Firefighters yep. are nuts. That's what they do. Um, I'll, uh, Brian, fin- final question before your phone. What is this? What is, what do you see as a, as a uniform character trait in the most successful people you, you work with? Humbleness. Fuck. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you define, um, humbleness for me? You know, I think everything comes from that. You know, uh, if you're humble, you're you're approachable. Uh, fans can relate to you, um, and people, they're going to love you. They're going to adore you. You know, that's why Paul Felder is loved so much. That's why Rose is loved so much. That's why Jens Pulver is loved so much. Douglas Lima. Uh, you know, all of these fighters project themselves with humility. Not saying that they aren't confident, and that doesn't mean that they feel like they're lesser than anybody. But their humbleness makes them approachable which makes them more marketable to a, a wider audience, in my opinion, because they're looked up to. And when, some, when people look up to you and then they find out that you're a genuine, real person, they're like, oh, they love you even more. 
when you get these people that go out there and they put on these shows and they put sunglasses on in buildings at nighttime and they act like they're superstars, you're not approachable at that point, in my opinion. And you lose touch with reality and your head's getting the head gets in the clouds. And, you know, that's when you start believing your own hype. So I think the key to a long career is humility and trusting your circle of people. And, and so, and I guess also with humility, that means that you believe you can still get better. Yeah, of course. You're always learning and you can get better. Yeah. I wonder if humility is embracing insecurity, accepting insecurity, loving your insecurities, as opposed to, yeah. as opposed yeah. to, Could yeah, be. Paul, Paul Felder seems like an amazing guy. In that note, there's people like Colby Covington who I really, 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 really like. Yes, but, you know, Colby puts on an act, which everybody, which is, it's a, that's a different approach. It's almost like a, a, a WWE type of act. He's not really like that in person. If you, if you know Colby in person, he's actually a pretty, a uh, pretty nice guy. You know, he's, yeah. he's not always rolling around with models and stuff like that behind him. You know, that's, that's, that's what he does to, to make noise for himself and to make people want it. Like he likes to be, you know, hated. Right, because he knows people are watching him. His eyes are set on, you know, getting views and making sure that uh, when he fights, the people are paying. You know, so and, I can't hate on him for that. Right, and how he carries himself when he's around fans is totally different. He's gone off and done things to meet with soldiers and our troops, and, and, and doesn't post about it. Doesn't talk to any. You know, he does, does a lot of things privately that uh, people don't know about. Yeah. And maybe that's why I like him also, because when I, when I do hear those things or I do see him going the extra mile. Yeah. I do see a, it's interesting. And I, I guess what I like about people is, is do, do all these great people have insane work ethics too? Like they just don't, nothing gets in the way. Like they're not going to the bar. I mean, sometimes people go to bar. I mean, sometimes you gotta, you gotta, it's such a stressful job and stressful situation that you gotta let your hair down every now and then, but it's not something where you're doing it every night. You know, uh, but yeah, they're definitely focused on, 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 on staying, you know, in their, in their job. I, I saw in that picture, you also had AJ Fletcher as one of your clients. Yeah. We, we had him on the show. Another great dude. That dude was, yep. what a great interview. Far. Um, do you, sorry, I said that was the last question, but what was, this is the last question. Um, <laughs> are there, do they have to be a cultural fit for you? Is there a culture in your company? I think that's, you know, that's a question that I say to them all the time. You know, we can have a contract, but if we don't get along, I'm not going to be motivated to work for you and you're not going to be motivated to trust me. So contract or not, you know, if, if the personalities don't get along, I don't, I don't care how much money you make, you know, I'm, my drive is to, I, I, I get a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment out of the relationships that we build and the successes that come from that. I don't, I don't get a lot of enjoyment out of sucking up to anybody and, being a yes man that's for sure and when you say get along who do they have to get along with both of us we you know my my, my partner brian hamper chris creech chad lastly our partners in russia you know they get they just have to be good people polite you know just i need to be able to tell you the truth right is it and does that seem to be new for a lot of people telling sometimes, the truth sometimes yeah. you know aj aj came to us through his coach tim Tim uh, was on the ultimate fighter with one of my very first clients, Amir Sadala way back in the day, I think season seven. And Tim has been tracking our company's growth the entire time. And 
Tim called us and was like, man, he's like, I, you know, out of all the managers out there, I'd, I'd really like you to take care of AJ because Tim really, you know, AJ is his guy. Uh, so that those are the type of referrals, you know, and I know Tim knows our personality, so he, he felt it would be a good fit. AJ is, is a, actually a really good, humble kid, and he's 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 good. He's going to go places. Yeah, he's a savage. Uh, I, I wish I would have learned about um, honesty at a at a younger age. I, I wanted to be nice, and being nice came at the price of being honest. And it's, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. My parents are really nice, and so they they weren't always honest. Honest, yeah, yeah, because they didn't like you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But really, honesty is where all the freedom is, and all the integrity, and all the good people. The honesty's uh, honesty is special. Yeah, well, I think you can be both. Yeah, you know, you just have mm-hmm. to make sure when you're telling the truth, you're doing it. You're not a dick about it. You know, like I don't like to give bad news. I said this to my guy I was interviewing yesterday. I was like, but. I wish I could give good news all the time, but sometimes I'm going to have to give you bad news. It's just the nature of the business. And I need you to trust me through that, you know? Uh, and you know, that's, that's kind of the foundation to building the relationship. Awesome. Um, uh, Brian, do you have a, do you have the new iPhone? Do you have iPhone 13 or what is it? I have the 12. Is that the new one? No, there's one more that came out. Um, uh, one of our guys, Chris, one of our managers, Chris Creech, has the new one. He's always giving me shit about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you need. Then you'll get. I'm just saying because then you get more battery time. Uh, uh, dude, thanks for coming on, Brian. No problem. Thanks for yeah, having me. I can't wait for our paths to cross again. This is really cool. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Susan. Susan, I guess thankful. I'm thankful to you too. Thanks, Evan. <laughs>